to the initial podcast segment of Know Your Job Rights with Attorney Stephen Sack. It is an honor to help workers everywhere protect themselves before, during, and after a job has ended. I am here to help you recognize when illegal action occurs and what you should do about it. My goal is to give you the professional edge, be smarter than your boss, and know how to fight back and protect your rights when the pink slip arrives. For some of you that may not know of me, I'm a labor and employment lawyer in private practice in New York. I've been practicing for 41 years. I've represented thousands of terminated executives and employees who were terminated, and I help them negotiate better uh, severance packages and benefits that goes along with it. I also represent on the front end people that need contracts with their employers or future employers, so I negotiate future employers. So I do it both ways. And uh, also, uh, with another lawyer by the name of Scott Lucas, uh, we litigate um, discrimination and breach of contract cases, and we've won some high-profile multi-million dollar cases, and I'm going to, uh, in future segments, share advice and guidance on how I won those cases and how you can learn from them. So I'm excited to provide you with valuable tips, strategies, and advice and uh, in all areas of the employment field, so let's get started. Today's podcast uh, deals with the issue of job references and defamation-related lawsuits. Um, I chose this topic because of the Johnny Depp libel uh, lawsuit against Amber Heard that was recently decided, and some of you may have read about it. A Virginia jury awarded Depp more than $10 million in damages in his libel lawsuit, and basically vindicated his allegations that uh, Heard lied about Depp abusing her before and during their brief marriage. The $10.35 million verdict was offset somewhat by a $2 million partial victory for Heard, who countersued Depp for defamation, claiming that Depp's lawyers uh, made several false statements in a British tabloid, stating that she had damaged the couple's penthouse and called to set up Mr. Depp, uh, or set him up, which defamed her reputation. I became further interested in this topic after I read several New York Times articles suggesting that men accused of sexual misconduct in the workplace are increasingly suing alleged victims of sexual harassment in defamation lawsuits to clear their names. Here's an example of something that came out a couple of days ago. So, Let's get started in this subject. Uh, there are many ramifications uh, in the workplace. Let's take a true case, for example. Uh, four employees were fired from a large insurance company after refusing to comply with their manager's request to falsify and alter expense reports. The, uh, this refusal caused them to be uh, deemed fired for gross insubordination. Can you imagine that? You refuse to uh, do something illegal at uh, the boss's behest, and then you're fired, and then the boss has the, the gall to say that you were fired for gross misconduct? It's true, it happened. Um, and after the termination, it got even worse, because the employees sought jobs with other employers, and in response to inquiries about their last job, they didn't know what to say, so they uh, stated they had been fired for gross insubordination. I mean, those were horrible words to say, but they had to say it. Now, a state court judge ruled that a defamation had occurred because the terminated employees, when asked 
were required to repeat the reasons they were given for their discharge. And any explanation they tried to give, uh, oh no, but you don't understand, it wasn't gross, uh, but you know, I, I didn't, and it, they weren't interested, because the whole thing got like, when, when, when prospective employers heard that, it was like pretty sour as an innuendo, like uh, these people aren't for me. The former employees sued, and guess what? This is why I chose this case. Each one of them was awarded $350,000 in damages. And the case is significant because it indicates that in some states, employees fired on false charges of bad conduct can sue their former employers for defamation, even if it's the workers themselves that are compelled to disclose the false information in the interview, and we call that compelled self-defamation. So let's get uh, more into you know, figuring out what is defamation. In the employment context, defamation is defined as any false statement about an employee which is communicated by an employer to a third party that harms the employee's reputation or deters others from dealing with him or her in a business setting. A statement can be defamatory when it holds an individual up to scorn or ridicule, accuses an individual of committing a criminal offense, having a loathsome disease like AIDS, or impugns an individual's honesty or competence in certain cases. Essentially, it's the invasion of the interest and the reputation and good name. Now, most defamation lawsuits arise typically after you have been terminated from a job. And they are the result of the employer either giving a bad reference, a false reference, making false statements about you, or giving false information to prospective employee employers about why the individual is terminated. But the ability to sue an ex-employer for defamation does not only arise for those reasons. It can also occur when false damaging statements are revealed to non-essential third parties uh, for example, I once represented a man who was fi uh, fired after being falsely accused of um, drinking excessively at lunch. And he obtained a copy of the memo stating this, showed it to me, and we proved that that memo had been read by several coworkers. And after the accusation was shown to be untrue, I recovered $25,000 for that client in an out-of-court settlement. In another case, um, it was reported that a salesperson who claimed that he was slandered by his fellow employees was awarded $1,027,000, including $775,000 in economic and $250,000 in non-economic damages by a jury. Uh, the medical laser salesman proved that several employees slandered him to his customers to improve their own sales in his territory, causing a disruption in his business. And he resigned and sued for breach of contract, breach of fiduciary duty and accounting and intentional interference via slander with client relations. Another court ruled that a defamation occurred by the method in which an employer packed and removed documents from a discharged employee's office after a termination. Get this, when asked by coworkers what was going on, the employer responded, you don't wanna know. See, in today's technology age, uh, defamatory acts commonly occur in emails, in blogs, uh, you know, such as inflammatory comments about uh, an employee on a, comp on a competitor's website, chat site, a public discussion board, or bulletin board. And courts are also allowing 
lawsuits to proceed by people who suffered damage to their reputation from statements in warning and discharge letters, office petitions, personnel files, and performance evaluations that contain false information or even that are used to deny a promotion. And the same is true for false statements made at management or employee meetings, or even when defamatory graffiti about an employee is written on company grounds and no attempt is made to remove it. So remember that. Um, harshly criticizing an employee can make an employer vulnerable in a defamation lawsuit. So if you're accused of stealing company property in front of others, and slanderous remarks are made like, you're a crook. Well, your employer may be guilty of defamation if the remarks are proved false. And protection can also extend to physical acts. In one case, an employee working for an automobile manufacturer was suspected of theft when leaving the premises. And hundreds of people, uh, of workers, observed him being forcibly searched and interrogated after proving the charges were unfounded, the man sued the company, and he argued that the rough treatment, the physical treatment, observed by some other workers held him up to ridicule and scorn since the treatment implied he was guilty of theft, and he was victorious in a judgment obtained against the uh, ex-employer. Um, now, defamation is a broad subject, and within the context of defamation, there are two different types of defamation. One is called slander, and one is called libel. Let's talk about that very briefly. Slander arises when an unfair and untrue oral statement uh, is communicated to a third party that damages the individual's reputation. The spoken words must pertain to a person's poor moral character, as we said before, unreliability, dishonesty, or financial uh, instability. Like if someone says, oh, he's a crook, or he never pays his bills on time, or he's filing for bankruptcy tomorrow. Uh, that could be uh, a provable slander. And um, you know, it really, basically, anytime someone says that you don't live up to your contractual obligations or your business responsibilities, know that there may be something here, and that you may be able to assert a claim for slander. Libel is the same, except it's got to be in writing. So. An unfair or untrue statement is made about a person in writing, like in a letter, an email, or a memo, and the statement becomes actionable when it's read by a third party. Remember, it's got to be a, someone else has got to read it, not just the person that the letter was addressed to, and damages the person's reputation um, or you know, business reputation. Let's talk for a moment about how to win a defamation case. To win a case, it's generally necessary for your lawyer to prove the following elements in court. You have to show that a defamatory statement was made, a fact, that the statement was false, that it was published, in other words, communicated to a third party, that it concerned you, that the speaker who made the statement made the required uh, level, you know, made it with fault, and that it caused you damage, such as loss of money or professional reputation, and it's not protected by privilege. Let me tell you about privilege. In the employment context, many employers are able to make statements about people, even if they're bad statements, provided they believed that they were true. Um, in order to win a case against an employer, you have to overcome a qualified privilege. In other words, employers have the right to talk about former employees, um, to give advice to prospective employers, right? 
uh, and they could say bad things about you if the things that they're saying about you are true, or if they can prove that they thought they were true and they didn't say it intentionally to harm you, and we call that with malice. So understand that. It's not so easy, often, to win defamation lawsuits in the workplace. In fact, uh, from what I've been reading you know, in the Johnny Depp case, most lawyers and commentary, people who wrote commentaries on this, suggested that it was pretty rare and they never even expected him to win. So, you know, understand that. But just really know that no one should ever talk poorly about you and, and cause you to be looked down upon, especially in your business or professional reputation. So, it, with all this said, um, what's going on in the, in the real workplace world is that most employers have become so afraid of providing prospective employers with job references that they're just merely confirming dates of employment positions held because they don't want to be put in a situation where they're accused of saying something negative about you. So just remember that. Now let's talk about, you know, being a labor and employment lawyer, many of my clients have job reference issues or negative reference issues, especially when they're fired. And we're putting up um, some strategies to protect your rights. So I want to go through some of these things so you'll have a better understanding of uh, how to act and protect yourself in this area. First of all, avoid signing a release. A lot of prospective um, employers require an applicant to sign a release which um, allows them to um, you know, review your background and your job history and it shields them from liability if they then reveal that to non-essential third parties. So you probably don't want to sign any type of applicant statement where you're um, indemnifying and uh, letting the, um, the prospective employer get your information and they can do whatever they want with it with impunity. So be aware of that. And I also am aware of the fact that many of you are looking for a job and you need a job, so you're going to sign anything to try to get the process moving. We understand that. We want to be practical. But just know that, take a look at that potential release that you may be asked to sign before you take a job, because you might want to tinker with it a little or make it less offensive. The second thing to uh, be aware of is it's a good idea to review company reference policies. Now, most employees get um, job ref uh, you get personal manuals, they get employee handbooks, or uh, on personnel policy statements or memos, and if your employer has disseminated a policy in writing, uh, stating that no references of any kind will be given after a firing, uh, or that the company will, let's take the opposite, favorably assist departing employees in pursuing and finding new employment. If the company failed to act per that promise, you might have the right to sue an alleged breach of contract or breach of an express contract or an implied contract, okay? So just know that. Check out the policies of the company. See what they do regarding references, whether they give them, whether they don't give them. This one is key. If you are terminated, typically what will happen is the employer will give you a separation agreement for you to review. And the separation agreement, we're going to have plenty of podcast segments on what the actual agreements say, how you should negotiate a better one. I mean, we'll talk about that and you'll be really knowledgeable when I get through with you. But here, what I want you to know is that, you know, every time you're fired, one of the things that you can do is, when you get the separation agreement, typically, 
Um, there might be a non-disparagement provision in there that says that you agree not to talk poorly about the company. Number one, it's a good idea for you to request that that be mutual. It's a mutual non-disparagement. Well, they can't talk negative about you. Some companies are not willing to do that. Okay, so then the second thing to negotiate is a clause in, the, in it's one sentence that says if a prospective employer calls, the company will only confirm the dates of employment and your dates of employment the position is held. Uh, that's a good idea because you know that if the company then fails to honor that and says something negative about you, you can sue them for defamation or breach of contract. The third thing is I try to get a favorable letter of reference, and many companies will do that. And we're going to have, again, future podcasts on how to get a good reference in writing, but just know that it could be very simple, and less is more in many situations. So it could say, like, you could ask for, to whom may concern, Kayla worked here from blank to blank, uh, as a blank, uh, Kayla performed her services competently and we wish her well in her endeavors. If you get that piece of paper signed by the company president or some higher ranking person on company letterhead, <laughs> that's, that's all you need. So you want to be aware of that. So try to negotiate and receive a favorable reference after a firing. Um, the next point is, you know, obviously uh, we want you to take action immediately if you are given a negative reference especially in retaliation for making or filing a discrimination claim. See, many employers will provide um, references to prospective employers, and some of them provide negative references out of spite, um, especially after that ex-employee uh, charged them with gender, age, or race discrimination. And employment attorneys like myself are increasingly confronting this issue of this very weird form of retaliation, which stems from the way employers handle workers who have reported on-the-job discrimination or harassment under anti-bias laws. Uh, you know, we all know that retaliation is common after an employee complains of discrimination. Well, the Supreme Court, in a, in a key ruling, said that uh, a minority of female workers who claim they were fired because of bias can sue former employers for retaliation due to poor job references. And the decision was a victory for a salesperson who was fired from his job at a major oil company, and he filed a claim with the EOC alleging he was fired because he was black. While the claim was pending, he applied for another job, and a previous supervisor gave him a poor rating. He then filed another claim with the EOC alleging post-termination retaliation discrimination. And when a lower court ruled that the law did not cover him because he was no longer employed by the company, he appealed, and the Supreme Court later agreed that the supervisor had given him a negative reference to punish him for filing the discrimination charge. So my advice is speak to an employment lawyer if you are a female or minority worker seeking to file a legitimate claim of work bias alleging post-employment retaliation. Also, it's a good idea to act promptly if you discover that an ex-employer is making defamatory marks that reduce your chances of obtaining new employment. And in the book, Fired, and um, you know, we have on my website we're going to post, uh, which is um, legalstratpub.com, we will put up a sample uh, email letter that you should send uh, to protect your rights. And the letter or the email should document what you've learned, and put your former employer on notice that you're going to take prompt legal action if the problem persists. 
Uh, it's really a good idea to do that if you receive no response to a unfavorable you know, letter, I mean, to a letter that you sent, uh, you should consider speaking with an employment lawyer for advice. Um, very important next point that you should take immediate action if you believe you're being blacklisted or willfully prevented from obtaining new employment. You know, many states have laws which prohibit and publish employers for maliciously or willfully attempting to prevent former employees from finding work. And some states even treat false job references as a crime, believe it or not. It's a criminal act. So, you know, the bottom line is other states permit civil actions against employers for damages for false statements and um, know that this is a pretty hot field because states want you to work, they don't want you to be out of work, and they don't want employers, ex-employers, to punish you out of spite and not let you get gainful employment. It's bad for the economy, right? And it's bad for you. The seventh point is to utilize your state service letter statutes if your state has such a statute. Um, some states have enacted uh, what we call these service letter statutes. And these states give workers additional legal protection because employers are required to give a terminated worker, believe it or not, you have to get a written statement uh, which states exactly the reason for your dismissal. And once you get that um, statement, uh, the employer can't furnish prospective employers with any other reason, okay? Uh, and it can't deviate from the reasons given to you in the service letter. And in a few states, an employer could be sued for damages for refusing even to tell you why you were fired for providing with false reasons or for changing its story and offering additional reasons to outsiders during legal proceedings. So that's, these service statutes are very, very significant. And for that reason, you need to know whether your state has such a law, not all states do. If it does have a service letter statute, then you need to send a letter uh, and there's a copy in Fired, and, and we'll post it, uh, a copy of an example of a letter demanding the true reason for your discharge. And by the way, if you don't receive an answer to the letter within a reasonable period of time, like 30 days, or if the employer furnishes you with a reason that's untrue, then your ser uh, state service letter statute may be violated. So, uh, and then I would send a second final demand letter stating that you intend to file a lawsuit under your state's law if no response or an inaccurate response is uh, forthcoming, or that you'll consult with experienced employment counsel to immediately explore your options. So know your law, uh, read your, uh, if your state has a service letter statute, research your state laws we talked about, uh, you know, knowing what the, your rights are. Uh, another point is obviously don't wait too long. Contact an employment attorney if the ex-employer failed to keep its promises. You know, because like I said earlier in the podcast, some employers have stated policies concerning job references that are contained in company manuals, handbooks, and other written documents. And if they fail to honor that promise, uh, they may be liable for breach of contract or breach of an implied contract under the laws of your state. So explore this option uh, with your lawyer if applicable. Recognize, last point, that you have rights while working you know, it's not necessary to necessarily be fired in order to get protection. You may have a valid claim for defamation 
when harmful records such as memos and personnel files, um, poor performance evaluations, you know, fake, uh, wrong uh, reviews. And that's a good idea, by the way, to always fight back and write a rebuttal if you feel that a performance review that you got or a performance improvement plan, and we'll talk about this in other segment, um, uh, podcast segments, um, you need to fight back and document that you believe that the comments made in the review are subjectively unfair or factually incorrect. You need to do that to protect your rights. Um, so know that as well. So all the strategies that um, I have discussed should be carefully considered. And uh, whenever you believe that false information or poor references have been given to prospective employers, especially after your discharge, and as I tell clients, companies sometimes face greater legal exposure from leaking harmful or confidential information after a firing than from the firing itself, believe it or not. So know your rights and take action immediately if you've been wronged. Don't be afraid to assert your rights in the legal area. Just follow the example of Johnny Depp, um, who successfully prevailed. You too can do the same. You just have to have the, you know, the strength and the stamina to go for it. Um, I hope you enjoyed this initial podcast of Know Your Job Rights with attorney Stephen Sack. If you're interested in purchasing a copy of my new book, Fired, uh, you can uh, order it from the publisher, Legal Strategies uh, Publications. You can go to legalstratpub.com. You can call me. Um, if you have a legal matter that you want to have a quick chat about, there's no charge, call me. My number is 917-371-8000 or send an email to Stephen Sack, A-T-T-Y, at hotmail.com. So until next time, this is attorney Stephen Sack wishing you well and telling you all to know your job rights. Mm -hmm.